0: oh what a great day of celebration i'm glad you're here to be a part of it and uh, some of the things we're celebrating today include the addition of new music staff and you've met a couple of them already josh tompkins on the piano who did the meditation for us and rick Matson and his wife who are here today as part of our contemporary worship team in fact rick is the director of the team and you've heard some of the rest of the team and next week they'll be introduced to you personally and today as well, we're happy to announce that Karen Anderley has been uh, appointed as our permanent director of children's ministry here at the church. She's been doing a great job filling in since last fall when Emily Willicke left. And uh, assisting uh, in the ministry of children uh, will be Julie Norris, who has also been a part of the fill-in team during the last year. So we're just delighted with what God is doing in bringing our children's ministry team together. Let me say a word about next Sunday because it's very important for you to notice that the times are completely changing. You have great opportunities to select what service you want to be a part of. Adult CE will all be on site next week. In the bulletin today, you have a listing of the hours when the small churches and classes are all meeting. Uh, the, there is a welcomers class that will resume next Sunday at nine o'clock in the nine o'clock hour in room 11 and that's for everybody who is new to the church and wants to find out about membership is interested in pursuing that direction we encourage you to step into the welcomers class for a few weeks and learn about grace church and become a part of our membership and then i i guess i would re, be remiss if i didn't point out that there's a new class starting next week called the pastor's class and one reason i happen to be the teacher of it And uh, one reason I'm excited about going to three hours is because it gives me an opportunity to teach Sunday school, which I have been able to do for 16 years. And I love that uh, environment of a smaller group where we can have some give and take. And that will be in the third hour in room 1A downstairs. And so you adults have some place to choose each hour in adult CE uh, as well as other options. Now, I do want to say thank you to all of you who have stepped up and are involved in serving this fall in a variety of ways in ministries. There have been a lot more opportunities because of what we're doing starting next week. And many of you have eagerly uh, been willing to, to say, yes, I'll serve in that area. And yet there is more room. There are still some slots that need to be filled. And I want to encourage you, each one of you, to consider where God wants you to serve we want you to give as well as to take in ministry. Both are important, aren't they? Well, this morning is a blowout musically. It always is. We have a great time celebrating the Lord and his grace and his goodness and his reaching out to all the peoples of the world. And it's been a wonderful morning. Before we Dismissed from this part of Grace Fest, we want to look into God's Word, and I invite you to open your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as we study our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. This last week, the world was shocked and saddened by the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, and then later by Mother Teresa. All of us have been focused on the good deeds of their lives and how they touched those who were poor, needy, hurting, and ill among us. I could not have asked for any set of circumstances, and of course wouldn't have asked for those circumstances, but there could not be a set of circumstances that would so affect our minds, that would prepare us, for what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about. You see, the Corinthians were a badly divided church for a lot of reasons, and one reason was their abuse of spiritual gifts. The very gifts that God had given for the church to be brought together and unified and built up were being mishandled and abused and misused by these Christians, and the result was that their church was being destroyed. Paul, as he enters into this part of the book, is going to address this problem, and he reminds them that we're all a body of Christ, and we all are members individually of that body and gifted to serve in a certain way. And he says to us as a body that we ought to eagerly exalt and seek out and pursue the greater gifts. But he says beyond the gifts, I want to direct you in a way that will keep the church together. He says I want to talk to you about a direction of life that far exceeds the spiritual gifts that you may think you have. And of course that is the way of love. Love is is the heart of a Christian's life and service for Jesus Christ. I'm saying it is right at the core of it. Love is the heart of your life and your service for Jesus Christ. There is nothing that is more vital than love. We learn to walk in the way of agape, the Greek word for love here, We learn to walk in the way of agape when we observe the life and the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. This kind of love is the self-sacrificing generosity that deliberately, intentionally seeks the benefit of others. And I want to present to you this morning the idea that this love is the most powerful energy that our world can know. I believe that love is the power of heaven. Love is what moved the Father to send the Son to be the Savior of the world through His sacrificial cross death. Love is the most significant life-changing power in existence. And so this morning I want to urge you and myself to earnestly pursue love as your life motivation. That is not natural. It is supernatural. But if you and I who declare ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ will only learn to tap into this God-derived energy we will touch the lives of literally everyone around us. And here's why. First, because of the preeminence of love. Verses 1 through 3. Paul says that love is more important than our gifts. Notice verse 1. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love... I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, a cymbal has a place in an orchestra or in a band. But suppose this morning that all of our music program were just the cymbal going back and forth. It wouldn't take us too long to tire of that. We love it in its place. But nobody wants to hear a noisy gong, a loud cymbal all the time. Paul is saying to these people who were emphasizing tongues really above everything else, if I speak with tongues, whether it be with men's language or the language of angels, probably meaning here with eloquence, he says, and I don't have love, I'm just like a gong. A symbol going back and forth its meaningless and it's irritating. And if I have the gift of prophecy, that is, if I can proclaim God's truth, and if I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, anybody here with that kind of faith? That you've ever said to a mountain, you move over there. We need a mountain in that part of the scene. Of course not. But he says, even if you had that kind of faith, if you have not love, he says, I'm nothing. Love is more important than the gifts. Whether they be tongues or prophecy or knowledge or faith, without love, we are zeros. And he says, secondly, that love is preeminent above benevolence. Verse 3, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Is he talking here about the gift of giving? Perhaps. But benevolence in general. He says, if I give away everything that I own, If I take the course, for example, of a Mother Teresa, who I learned for the first time in the last couple of days was born into wealth. If I take her course of life and take a vow of poverty and give it all up and never have anything, but I don't have love, it's meaningless. love is more important than benevolence. Thirdly, he says, love is more important than sacrifice. He says, if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. He says, if I take the route of a martyr, if I actually lay down my life for the name of Jesus Christ, but do not do it with the energy of love for others. then he says, I've wasted my life. Without love, I convey nothing. Without love, I am nothing. Without love, I gain nothing. That's why Paul says, pursue love as the energy and the motivation of your life. Because it's preeminent above everything else. There's a second reason that I believe he points to here for us to pursue love, and that is because of the portrait of love in verses 4 through 7. You see, agape love is not merely a sentiment. It's not an emotional feeling that we get. Agape love is the kind of love that actively seeks the welfare of another, even when that person, and I might say especially, when that object of our love is totally undeserving of it. Someone has said that these verses are a non-narrative biography of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, what we see in verses 4 through 7 is the very essence of the deity that we worship. God is love and love is patient, love is kind and is not jealous, it does not brag and is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Here we have a portrait of our Lord. There are 15 qualities to love. Eight negative, seven positive. And as Paul throws them up on the canvas for us, when he's finished, we have a picture of Jesus. You can actually read this text this way. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not jealous. And you get the essence of what he's saying. What does it mean to be patient? Well, it means to hold back one's reaction. The passion that one might feel. Love endures injuries and slights without losing interest in the welfare of the one who's done the hurting. Love is calm under the provocation of evil. It is patient. Love is kind. This word is found only here in the New Testament. It means that love extends goodness to others. Someone has written these words, I shall pass through this world but once. Any good thing, therefore, that I can do, or any goodness that I can show to any human being, let me do it now. Let me not defer it or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Love is lavishly kind, and it is not jealous. To be jealous means to be envious and to dislike what somebody else is able to gain which we would like to have. It means that if another person is given the advantage, or is given a position, or has a possession, and we desire it for ourselves, and we dislike them because they have it, it means that if we do that, we are not controlled by love because love is not jealous. The word comes from the idea of boiling. If we are boiling inside because someone else got what we wanted, that's the point. Love is not that way. Love, is, love does not brag. It does not show off. It is not self-centered. Love does not blow its own trumpet. And by the way, if we had time this morning, we could go down through all the problems of the Corinthians, and you would find that what Paul describes, how Paul describes love fits almost every single problem they had. Love does not brag, he says. Love is not arrogant. The Greek word here is the word for bellows. If any of you went to the Heritage Square at the State Fair, you might have stopped by the blacksmith shop which I try to do every year for a few minutes just to to watch as this artisan uses bellows to pump up that charcoal fire and to get it so hot it's able to heat the metal and then he can pound it. The word for hot air is this idea of arrogant. Paul says love is not a windbag. Love is not puffed up with hot air. Love does not have an exaggerated sense of self-importance. He says love does not act unbecomingly. That is, love does not act in bad taste. What he says here is not that there's something necessarily evil, but it's something that's rude. Love doesn't do that. Love is not ill-mannered. Love is not crass. One who is controlled by love has integrity and propriety about him. He says love does not seek its own. Rather it seeks the advantage of the other and denies itself. Love is not provoked. The word provoked here literally means to sharpen along the side of. Love does not go along the side of somebody and grate against them. To bring them to a point of exacerbation or irritation. Love does not allow sharp disagreement as happened between, for example, Barnabas and Paul in Acts 15, 39. Our word here, the English word is paroxysm which means a spasm. Literally what he is saying here, if we were to put it in our vernacular today, love does not get spazzed out. He says love does not take into account a wrong. A bookkeeping term. Love does not keep books on people. It doesn't have a ledger that it pulls out and marks things off and says that's one against you. It does not take into account on the ledger. It does not nurse a real or imaginary fault or injury in someone else. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Here Paul seems to be reaching toward those who were so broad-minded in the church that they, they were unwilling to confront sin in their midst. And he says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. That is when truth prevails. He says, love bears all things. That is, it builds a roof over others. It protects others from injustice and hurt. Love believes all things. This does not mean that love is gullible, but that love trusts. Love does not make us suspicious of everyone and everything. Rather, love causes us to expect the best of others. Someone has said, far better to be deceived in a doubtful case and suffer hurt than as a skeptic to hurt another who would have been believed or should have been believed. Love hopes all things. It does not despair. Rather, it's optimistic. Love is realism that is anchored in the promises of God. It accounts things for how they really are, but at the same time, it never loses sight of the hope of what God can do. And then he says, love endures all things. That is, love is able to stay under pressure. It is persistent against all the odds that may come against it. Now folks, what a striking portrait these phrases and words paint for us. Jesus the Lord is love incarnate. Jesus the Lord is love incarnate. And the question I want to ask you and me Just before we go out to continue our day of celebrating God's goodness and God's grace is this. How much do you look like Jesus? As you throw your own picture up against what Paul is painting here, how much do you look like Jesus? And a second question is this. Will you allow Jesus to love others through you? I've been deeply troubled the last few days. And I'm still troubled this morning by this thought. As I look at the lives of Diana and Mother Teresa both of whom had a theology that I cannot identify with. I nonetheless see in how they chose to live more love than I see in my own life. That bothers me. Because I'm a child of God. His love has been poured out in my heart by the Holy Spirit who lives in me. But I have never gone to an AIDS house and touched and ministered to a young man dying of AIDS. I've never done that. I have never gone to a leper and washed her feet bandaged her hands? Never. How about you? Does that bother you at all? How do we explain this theologically? I don't have an answer for that yet that satisfies me. But I can tell you this, that I have asked myself this question right here. Will I allow Jesus to love others through me? And I hope that you will ask yourself that question too. And ask God what it means if he is going to love somebody through you. Somebody who is undeserving... Somebody you may not know, who can never pay you back. Somebody that everybody else may despise. Are you willing to pray with me this morning? Jesus, love others through me. And then to ask him to bring to you opportunities to do that. And to allow you to see those opportunities. Folks, do not pray that prayer lightly. It could revolutionize your life. It could change the lives of people all around you. Be careful in praying the prayer. But I'll tell you something. I have looked at myself in the face the last few days, and I have said, if you are a Christian and a child of God, why don't you love with God's kind of love? And that's a question all of us need to ask ourselves and repent and open our hearts for God to pour his love through us in a way that we have never, ever experienced before. May God break our hearts today for a world that God loves and we despise. May God break our hearts today for people that Jesus died for and we don't give a rip for them and haven't. And may God show us what we need to do to be his channels of love. Let's pray. going to ask if you would be willing to pray that prayer with me. Jesus, love others through me. And if you're willing to pray that prayer, I'm going to invite you to pray it out loud with me in just a moment and say those words. And I don't ask you to shout them. I just ask you to pray them from your own heart, but out loud. Not for the sake of anybody, but you and God but say the words if you can mean it from your heart and mean it deeply. Let's say it together. Jesus, love others through me. Lord, help us today to become channels of your love in a way that we have never experienced before in our lives. We repent before you of hard-heartedness and self-righteousness. We repent before you for judgmental attitudes and for being impatient and unkind and jealous and all the rest. And we ask you to do something fresh and new in our hearts That we might experience the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your hymnal, and we're not going to sing, but I want to read two verses of a hymn, and all of us read it together. Please take your hymnal and turn to 283. Would you stand with me, please, as we read this? This declaration, really. 283, verses 1 and 2. Let's just try to read it in unison as much as we can. We are God's people, the chosen of the Lord, born of His Spirit, established by His Word. Our cornerstone is Christ alone, and strong in Him we stand. Oh, let us live transparently and walk heart to heart and hand in hand. We are God's loved ones, the bride of Christ our Lord. For we have known it, the love of God outpoured. Now let us learn how to return the gift of love once given. Oh, let us share each joy and care and live with a zeal that pleases heaven. Amen. Amen.